Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. This is H.D. Chambers with Aleph ISD, and I want to thank everyone who has uh, chosen to listen to this episode. Uh, we're really hoping that a lot of our surrounding community there around Aleph and around the, the school district uh, has a chance to listen to this episode because uh, I've got a couple of individuals uh, as our guests today that, that are providing, uh, along with others, but they're really, they're really leading the charge in our district and our community on exposing all of our kids no matter how young they are, no matter how old they are, exposing all of our kids, all of our teachers uh, to the wide-ranging opportunities that are out there in the STEM world. And for those that don't know what STEM means, we use that term all the time in education. basically refers to the four disciplines of science, technology, engineering, and uh, mathematics. So when you hear the term STEM, we're talking about all of those combined. And so these two ladies have, uh, have been at the epicenter of our district moving to a, uh, we're not technically called a STEM district, but as a practical matter, we are becoming one because those four curriculums or those four disciplines are being such so widely used, quite frankly, to teach school. While we may not be creating a bunch of engineers, we are creating a lot of people who understand the core concepts of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So with that, I'll shut up and introduce uh, Miss Jeline Robles. Got it right, right? Oh, yes. All right, all right. <laughs> Did you got it. I thought we have to do two or three takes <laughs> to get that one right. And uh, Miss Betty George, who both work in our, our district's uh, curriculum department. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and what they do. These two ladies, uh, along with several others, have been extremely, extremely integral in moving our district to, to what I described earlier earlier is kind of a, a STEM-focused district. So with that, I'm going to ask um, Jeline, if you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself real briefly and kind of your background and what got you into this. And then Betty, I'd ask you to do the same thing, and then we're going to get to start talking on, on things I hope are of interest to the to the audience. So my name is Jeline Roble. I am the coordinator for Science K-6, and um, part of what we do in the department is really to promote STEM. And with what Mr. Chambers said, it's really science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and part of it is, is science, of course. And, and what we do um, with, with the STEM program is really trying to infuse critical thinking and problem solving with it. So, so much of, of what we do in science is inquiry-based, so that's how we sort of like got into the whole STEM arena. And, and part of what we do is really making sure that kids are ready when they get to middle school, as far as understanding like the scientific principles to get them ready for middle schools. Betty, how about yourself? So my name is Betty George. Um, I am the K-6 science interventionist for the district. I work with Jeline Roble. <laughs> and so our job is to help support the kindergarten through sixth grade, grade levels and schools, not only in STEM, but in also in the science program as well. Um, our goal really is to um, like Jolene was saying, start the kids as young as possible. So it's not just starting in middle school. It's starting even in pre-K and kindergarten. I know some schools do um, STEM activities and lessons with their kindergarten kids starting young, which is very important in our opinion to start that young to get them ready for the the next grades. Talking about the younger kids, the pre-K, kinder, first graders, a lot of people probably don't associate STEM, at least the historical definition of STEM, with applying it to that age group. What are things, if I'm a parent listening to this and I've got a three or four or five-year-old, are, are there things that we're doing in the classroom now or that we're training our teachers to work with that age group kid as it relates to STEM, even though you may not be calling that at that age? So, so much of um, like engineering design or when we do engineering design challenges for kids, it's really getting them to solve a problem. So in kindergarten or like in early grades, 
it's it's learning disguises play and engineering design or solving engineering problems is really design thinking it's really play like you know but you apply critical thinking to it and so early on and, and it brings me to to this one quote and I forgot where I got it it says education um, must reflect the kind of culture we want to create and so in, in thinking about that if we want kids who are critical thinkers who are problem solvers like we really need to get them started like early on we need to promote and we need to encourage critical thinking and problem solving like early on and what better way to do that is when they they're very young because mm-hmm. they're so open to to things and to solving problems and just everything is just you know they're very curious mm-hmm. for the most part they're able to think outside of the box instead of thinking okay it's either a or b but there's really an option c and d it's just that they need to think of it and the younger kids are really great at thinking of different options where it's they're not limited so that's always a great place to start and so I have a 20-month-old in thinking about you promoted the book, Creating Innovators. Mm-hmm. And, and in the book, like, they really start, like, early on. Like, it doesn't start in middle school. It starts, like, really early on. And it's getting kids um, into enrichment programs, like a lot of enrichment programs, like things that you might not think that will be helpful to them academically, but it is because they're solving problems, they're engaged in collaboration and communication. So as a parent, I think I would be, if if I had a three-year-old or when Kate gets to that age, like it will be like enrichment programs for these kids, um, definitely. If you ever go to an elementary school and watch recess, and yes. just watch them, just, just, mm-hmm. just, just watch them run around and play and all that. Invariably, they're solving problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't call it that. We call it getting along with others. Right? True, yes, yes. <laughs> but we're teaching them to, interact and typically solve problems mm-hmm. of whether it's I want to swing on that swing set and there's two people in front of me or or it's actually trying to figure something out. And I, and I think in the education world, at least from my perspective, I've been my eyes have been opened as to the capabilities of teaching young children like that these types of skills that for the most part, I think most people don't think human being is able to comprehend until they get a little bit older, middle school, high school college for that matter. Mm -hmm. So as you're thinking about these younger kids and trying to get them exposed, I can't help but ask, does what is required of a teacher in the classroom every day, is that conducive to accomplishing what you're talking about? Is it not? Do we have to do things in spite of either statewide curriculum or something we inflict upon ourselves? I mean, how is is that? Because I think part of our jobs are to figure out if we do have a barrier and it's Ailey creating the barrier, then we got to fix it. If it's the state or the feds or whoever, then we got to try to fix that. So is what we're required to do conducive to what you're supporting? And be honest. I think we have to be very, very creative, um, you know, as a district. For us, and I'm just thinking of the schools, um, when we think of, of our fall and spring PBL, like for our STEM academies, administrators have to be very creative about scheduling. Um, they have to be very creative. I, I know we have what we call a master schedule, but it really takes like the cross-curricular connections that we have to do, required to do, or, you know, that is really needed um, for our STEM PBL projects. It really takes a good administrator to understand that having a master schedule or having all of these requirements, in spite of having all of these requirements, we, we can find a time or we can create a schedule that allows for for all of these to happen. Because if we are very prescriptive, if it's very methodical and it doesn't allow for for creativity and innovation, like it's really very hard to 
to even get our STEM Academy started. And like right now, we have sixth grade going, at least like for, for, for uh, the grade levels that we serve, we have sixth grade that's going really very well. They're in year two of implementation, and then we have fourth grade in their first year. Um, and then next year, we're starting with grade five um, STEM Academies. It's almost like it took a whole village, like mm-hmm. specialists, administrators, you, of course, f- to allow for that creativity with scheduling to accommodate what needs to happen in STEM Academies. So even with getting out of our own comfort zone and being willing to step out and be creative and being able to think, okay, you know what, if this fails, I need to figure out how to make it better next time instead of just sticking to what is prescribed or the prescriptive, um, what we're comfortable with. So I think it also takes a lot of confidence. And I think a lot of our teachers have that and they have the desire to step out of their comfort zone and out of the box to think about, okay, this is good for my kids. So how can I help better support them? So they're willing to go the extra mile of bettering themselves and making sure that they are capable of thinking outside the box as well. Because I think if you give teachers sort of like the leeway or flexibility, flexibility, like they, they will flourish. So having that flexibility is really very important to teachers, especially teachers who really have the heart to, to push for things that are outside the box mm-hmm. or like things that we're not traditionally used to doing um, in public schools. So is the box, I mean, we've used outside the box know, for right. like a thousand years. <laughs> a thousand years. Outside the box, outside the box. So is the box we're referring to now, is it curriculum that's in writing with pacing guides and scope and sequence? Is that the box or is it a combination of uh, that along with a teacher perhaps being in his or her own box because they've never been, they don't, they don't feel like they have the expertise to start venturing into these areas you're talking about. I'm just thinking about teachers who come out of teacher prep programs wanting to teach literacy and English. Are they ever given the chance? Are they trained to teach kids how to problem solve? Right. So I think as far as spacing guides, unit documents, it's very important because I think a strong STEM program really builds on a strong science program, a a strong math program. It, It has to be like the scientific principles that you have to use in solving STEM problems really rests on kids understanding scientific principles and mathematical principles. So so having like a pacing guide, curriculum documents, and teachers following that is very important because that's where you get the content. Um, I think we need to pair it up with, with having the the flexibility to allow for cross-curricular content connections um, for for things that allow for problem solving, for things that allow for creative thinking. So I think more than that, it's a partnership mm-hmm. between both. And you said something about our teacher preparation programs preparing our teachers to be creative problem solvers. Like if they are given the spacing guide, um, let's just say if I'm a science teacher and I'm given the science spacing guide, am I able to really integrate or maybe think outside of science because I will need the math to make sure that my kids understand, like, let's just say density or um, go outside the box and reach out to my ELA or um, English language arts partner because they need to be writing and reading about science. So that kind of thing. I think it it has to be many things. As we in this district attempt to to expose all our kids to the lifelong skills of, of STEM, you know, the problem, we keep using PBL, problem solving. We keep using the terms critical thinking. And those are real things, right? Correct. I mean, those are those are like real tangible things you can put your hands on where you put in front of a group of kids and say, solve this problem. Betty, you were most recently on a campus. In your experience, do kids come to us ready to do that? I mean, do they come to us wired to do that? 
before we start reprogramming them in school? Does their background have an impact on it? Does their experiences as an infant through three or four years old? Or do they come to us with a clean blank slate in their little minds and they're ready to problem solve, but we've just never taught them? I've always been curious about that part of the the brain, the, 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 the four-year-old brain, for example, in pre-K. Mm. We know a lot about it with literacy and language development and acquisition. How much do we know about it in, in this area? In my opinion, I feel like the kids do come ready to problem solve. Like they're, they have the capability and the ability to do it. I feel like sometimes we stunt their desire uh, because, you know, you hear a lot of the times, okay, when you go to school, make sure you do exactly what the teacher says. So the kids will always ask, okay, these are my two choices, which what's the, what's the right answer? And you really want them to think of an alternative and they can't do that sometimes because there's no gray area. And so it's instilled in them to really just choose from the choices that are given. I feel like they have the desire and they have the ability to do it. I just feel that sometimes we, as the adults, we kind of push that back down. Right. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I haven't thought about it that way, but we, A-Leaf, public ed in general, we tend to put kids in black and white worlds, meaning it's either the right answer or the wrong answer. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. If you get it right, we pat you on the back and move on. This is, and I know y'all believe this, this is something that's it's come to me over the last de- decade, I guess. And ever since I, I, I got the A-Leaf was just watching students who really were creative, but their creativity got them in trouble in, in class or it got them in trouble somewhere else. And, and, and you're right, uh, Betty, in terms of the, the adult. And I don't think it's any, any fault of the adult. Mm-hmm. It's just we do what we we do, right? We know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. And we've talked about the kid a lot now. Let's talk about the teacher for a little bit. So how do you give that teacher confidence to not only apply PBL, problem-based learning, in his or her classroom, but also the confidence to know that if they're doing it, they're not they're not missing out on something else that maybe ALEAF requires of them or the state of Texas requires of them? How are we going about training our teachers, regardless of what their background is from teacher prep programs? I mean, we do offer like, you know, the professional development, the training, but then um, apart from that, it's really um, sitting down with them and planning with them and having conversations with them that if this happens or when this happens, this is what you do or can do. And I think it's just really like doing it, like doing it with them and knowing that that you are there to like help them in a lot of of conversation. So what we do in in teaching is is modeling and we model in the beginning and um, we coach throughout the process and we debrief and we reflect and then we we go back to the blueprint again and how we can make it better. So I think the process of, of modeling, coaching, co-teaching, um, we do have us like at the district level and then our um, campus science specialists or STEM coordinators, um, our STEM facilitator, like, I mean, it's a village, like, you know, our tech department um, also helps us with that in our language arts department, like, you know, really help us with the projects that we do and in training teachers. And I think making sure that teachers understand that it's okay if, if kids don't really give you like A or B, like they can give you C and that's fine. You know, and and failure is part of the process as well. That's okay. You know, there there's so many things, and I think a lot of conversation discussions with teacher and really making sure or giving them the comfort that really it is okay. How do you overcome the age old saying of you know failure is not an option? How do you overcome that and saying that yeah, you know what? In some cases, failure is an option. It's part of the process. That term became famous with Apollo thirteen, oh. right? Well, if you remember that, that's where <laughs> that head of mission control basically told his staff, failure is not an option here. But that's a different kind. Of, like, yeah, <laughs> it's better what, not. Fail, yeah. <laughs> that's life or death. That's life or <laughs> Just death, like right? life or death, yeah. But in but in in our world, in some cases, you know, those who are concerned with with what we're talking about, how do we 
make the failure is an option? How do we make to get to the point where in some cases we can say something like failure is not an option because of all the failures we've had leading up to the real life moment of, of this, mm-hmm. which is kind of what basically what the Apollo series was saying, the, the movie was saying is, is that we failed so many times mm-hmm. doing all this and we learned so much from those failures that when we actually put it in real action, people's lives depend on us not failing. Can we do that in the school system, in a classroom, with a teacher and kids? I mean, I think so, because if I think of STEM, like more than really like the concepts of the scientific principles and the mathematical principles, like you put that together and put it into action. So I think part of it, too, is it's not technically failing. You've learned what does not work. So changing the mindset, too, of uh, like this one of the sixth grade PBLs is cleaning up an oil spill. So the kids have to devise something to clean it up. So they design it. They test it. So it may not work, but they know what materials did not work. So when they go back to redo it, they refine what they did to try other things that might work. I think it's changing the mindset of the word failure really is just looking at it didn't work the first time. How do I revise it to see if it will work the next time? So it's really part of like the engineering design process. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and when I think about STEM, it's really like iteration and innovation and iteration because you almost have to like repeat something to get it precise, like to the point. So it needs to be part of the process. And I think we have to start that early on. We have to tell kids that it's okay because you know what, you're going to be better. Like once you have mastered this after several tries, you will be good at it. You'll be great at it. You're almost successful if you learn something from your failure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's right? also like the emotional investment yeah. there because yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I think no one wants to fail at yeah. anything. I'm always reminded of the guy that, that invented the chemical reaction for WD-40. Mm-hmm. That's right, yes. That was his 40th trial on, mm-hmm. his, on his chemical. So going back to the teacher and, and helping them get more comfortable with the whole failure is an option as long as you're learning from it and ultimately you're going to be able to benefit from that. Do we find teachers, once they get over the fear of that, because you have a lot of teachers that went to school and they came out as reading teachers or social studies teachers or ELA or whatever whatever their subject area might be, do we find that it's a little more challenging getting them to, not to buy in, but to be exposed to it and to learn from it? I think so, because what all of like the grade levels, I mean, the teachers that we worked with when we started like the STEM academies, it's like, oh my gosh, like while they have the desire to be like a STEM teacher, it's like, I've never done this before. Am I going to be okay? And there's always that. The unknown. The unknown and the self-doubt. But then once they get like just the first showcase, they're fine. Like once they get through the whole project, they're fine. Even in our um, summer STEM bridge programs, naturally, like we get teachers that already have the desire to like do STEM related activities, but they're just not sure about the structure yet. Mm -hmm. But then when they just let kids go and and solve a problem or, you know, get the makey-makey to like work, they're fine. Like, you know, apply coding and and robotics and whatnot, then they're fine. It just takes them a a little bit of comfortability and assurance. Yeah. Yeah. We've always allowed, our society's always allowed people to say, well, you know, I'm just not good at math. Mm. We don't, or I'm not just, I'm just not good at something, right? We, yeah. We've yeah. almost given, mm-hmm. a, given people a pass by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we don't you, say I'm not good at reading. No, you don't hear yeah. anybody, even if they're not, they're not going to admit it. I like, know. I'm not a good reader. Yeah. Nobody ever says that. That's true. We got to first overcome this, mm-hmm. this whole culture, societal thing. And the mindset. And the mind, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about the things that you guys are leading in A-Leaf. 
you've mentioned STEM Academy. Mm-hmm. You, you've mentioned a variety of different examples of what we're doing. Talk a little bit about some of our specific uh, initiatives that we're taking as a more thoughtful, intentional approach to this so that it gets out to every kid, both during the school year, after the school day, because we have a lot of things going on when school lets out, and then obviously into the summer, because we have all kinds of things going on. <laughs> I mean, we might as well be a year-round school district with the two, two and a half months in the summer being devoted, for the most part, STEM. Mm-hmm. Share a little bit about it, almost like a promotional thing, talking to the community and to others about what we're doing. And if their kids aren't involved in it or they're not aware of it, maybe they can learn something from, from this conversation. So I'll start with the um, the the initiative for the summer. One of the programs that we have at the district level is um, the Summer STEM Bridge Program, and we are in year four of that. Uh, we worked with the CPR department uh, the last two years um, with really trying to promote STEM with all the students. Um, I know sometimes we think that STEM is just for the gifted kids, mm-hmm. and that is one of my pet peeves is because STEM is not just for the gifted, that it's for all. So we want to make sure that all kids um, have the opportunity to engage in STEM learning. It's probably more for the kids who sometimes we don't define as gifted. It's more Correct. for them than it is the gifted, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big a, 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 yeah, misconception. It's a, it's a, it's a clarification yeah. that I think we constantly have to make, that we're not going to say this is good for these kids, but we want you to be a part of it, too. That's who it's designed mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. right? Because those kids are smart, too. I talk mm-hmm. about the differences between smart all the time. Yes. We, this is for everyone. Every kid. That's why I asked the question earlier. Do they come to school with an innate ability to do this? And then sometimes we mess with it at school and mm-hmm. uh, our parents mess with it, quite frankly. Or So anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year we are doing the program with current third grade and fourth grade students. The CPR department emailed out to all parents who have a kid in the third or fourth grade. So we have uh, a number of students that are going to be participating in it. We have six classes or courses that they get to select from, um, they get to do two of them. We have Makey Makey, uh, we have 3D printing, coding, robotics, engineering. So it's it's very interesting because last year was the first year that they got to select the two um, that they got to be in. So it was interesting to see some of them that they don't know what they're going to do in 3D printing or in making Makey, but they after the after being in it for a couple of days, they were like, "This is the coolest thing." I didn't know what it was about, but I, they they got to do so much with it, and it was very hands on, very engaging, and they learned so much, and you could see the confidence in them just build. What's making Makey? Making Makey. Makey Makey. Mm-hmm. It's a way to build circuits um, in an innovative way, so it, it helps promote design thinking. So it has a, they call it a motherboard, a switchboard Mm -hmm. with the alligator clips and you click them onto something that conducts electricity. So when you touch it, you can do music, play Mm -hmm. piano, uh, make different sounds. You can code it. So you press the letter X and the mouse moves from on scratch, moves from the the left of the screen to the right of the screen. So it it integrates um, teaching kids how circuits work as well as coding and design thinking because in the Makey Makey, they also have to come up with a problem to solve uh, and figure out a way to um, to solve it with their group. So it, it's more collaboration and problem solving okay, with them. thank you. <laughs> they call it an invention kit for everyone. Yeah. yeah so two kids um, out of MIT, like, created that. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So now you have young kids basically 
solving problems created by MIT students. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think that's where I come in with, like, if we introduce kids early on to, like, design thinking, like, they get it. Because oftentimes they would, like, only do makey-makeys with middle school and in mm -hmm. high school. But, like, we did it with our fourth graders. Um, our third graders are going to be doing it, and they're able to do it. So as far as um, STEM programs for a regular school year, right. what we hope to do in ALEAF is really to promote STEM for all or to provide kids opportunities and access to STEM-related activities and so what we've done, we have been very intentional about vertical alignment. We know that Kilo and Ollie already had STEM academies. So working backwards, we did into into that feeder path. So we work with the feeder schools and we started with like Youngblood and um, Klensman. And we do have STEM academies at both schools. Grade six is in year two mm -hmm. and they actually have a fall and a spring PBL, project-based PBL. But then really within the different contents, they actually have problems that they need to solve. So we're working cross curricular with, with those projects or in those projects. So we have that. And then we actually also have thinking of theater schools still. We have the elementaries coming on board. So having their own STEM academies to make sure that kids, we, we have that alignment um, or kids are ready to get into the design thinking or the engineering process once they get to intermediate schools. Right. And um, apart from that, I know all of our elementary schools have their own STEM clubs. It can be before school, during school, or after school. They have engineering clubs. Uh, 3D have printing, 3D robotics. 3D printing, yes. So coding. they have coding, yes. So um, it's it's really across the board. So for the last five five years, we've really seen almost like a, you call it like growth spurt. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like skyrocketing. Like I think people are starting to embrace or see the importance of STEM, if you promote it, could really bring to your campus and how it can help your kids. And I think on the, for the parent side too, for the schools um, have moved away from science nights and into right. STEM nights. So the families are coming, and it's a it's a family STEM activity right. that they're doing. So which is great to see kids at the K four campuses. They're coming with their families, and parents are not just standing back letting the kids explore. They're in there, and they're competing with their kid. They're like, right. "No, this isn't how you do it. This is how you do it." And mm -hmm. the kids like, "No, this is how it's going to work." And so it's so great to hear the collaboration between the families working together. True. And some of them walk away and they say, oh, we have these materials at home. I'm going to try this at home. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing to hear the passion from the families and the engagement, how, how well engaged that they are in just participating in it just at a STEM night. I'm, I'm curious as to what, what is the meaningful difference between a T-STEM academy versus a school who just is all in on STEM and they may not have this designation. They may have STEM clubs, they may have all kinds of inter integration in their schools. They may have parents that are involved, like you're, like you're talking about, Betty. Is the, the T-STEM schools, are we giving them different types of support, whether it's monetary or resources or what? I think um, the curriculum is very intentional. So they do have a fall and a spring PBL that, that the academies become a part of, and it's mm -hmm. cross-curricular. So um, science and math teachers are involved, ELAR teachers are involved. Um, Tell people what ELAR is. English language art and, and reading, reading. <laughs> yes. So um, so reading, reading and writing teachers are involved. So it's really cross-curricular and it's very intentional. And I say intentional because we do carve out a time within our pacing guide to ensure that that happens. And then the same thing happens like, you know, in the spring, of course. So that intentionality is there. One of the, if not the first, one of the first questions that Google always asks any candidate that's made it through their hiring process at a certain level, the, the question they ask them is, what problem do you want to solve, right? 
can you do that with with a group of kids? Can you can you put a group of fifth graders mm-hmm. and say, okay, what what problem do you want to solve? You should visit our um, STEM bridge program, summer STEM bridge program, because like with the Makey Makeys, that's what they do. Like we want them to come up with the problem. What problem do you want to help solve? And so they design using the Makey Makey a solution to that problem. And even our teachers, we had our science lead teachers go through that process as well. So it's it's very interesting, like the things that you don't normally think. I'm like, I never thought you want to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And so you almost, you know, tie in like the why, like, why am I in this? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you should visit our Summer Stimbridge program. I went two years ago. Mm-hmm. F- yes. Two years ago. And, yes. Uh, they were doing the prosthetic hands. Yes. Prosthetic hands. Uh-huh. And, I mean, you actually put meaning behind what they're doing. That is and, true. Like real mm-hmm. meaning about, mm-hmm. about that. That was very impressive. I know you guys could talk about this all day long. One of the purposes of, of wanting to have this conversation is, one, to make people aware, particularly parents in A-Leaf or in the surrounding areas, about what we're doing this summer. And if I missed it, please Please correct me, but give just a couple of details on maybe the STEM, the ones we know about. I would encourage every parent to check with their school or their mm-hmm. schools what because they're all doing something. Mm-hmm. You're right. But in terms of the more larger district-supported initiatives, can you just real briefly get, throw out maybe dates, the name of it, and where they need to look to? Yeah, so we, we do have two camps going um, for Girl Start. So we're also very uh, passionate about girls, girls in STEM. Yeah, yeah. And we do have two camps going. The The week of June the 3rd will be at Heflin, and then the week after it will be at Hicks. So that's okay. Girl Start. It's for girls um, from grades 3 through grade five. And then we also have the Summer STEM Bridge Program, which is uh, June 3rd to June 13th, the two weeks that will be at Youngblood. And that will be for current third and fourth grade students. And Secondary Science, I know, is also hosting a STEM camp um, alongside HCC, and it will be for grades five and up. So it will be at Taylor High School. And that is the whole month of June. Yeah, that, that's an entire extension of the school year. That's like going to school right, for yes. a month to learn STEM. So to, STEM all year. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that's from my perspective, that's what I want. In order for us as educators, as adults, to get students excited about real things that are going to actually matter as they get older, the adults who are delivering that have to be excited. True. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Nowhere is that more important than in the classroom. The training and the way in which we approach preparing our teachers and the way we treat our teachers, and particularly math and science, but all of them in, to a certain extent, is, is important. So we programs like Jason, mm-hmm. where, and for those that aren't familiar, it's a supplement to our, our science curriculum or our STEM curriculum, but there's a huge investment into teacher training by investors and by supporters. Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense with this significant amount of momentum that we have going towards a STEM for all, do you get a sense that the teachers are being they're being treated or they feel like they're being treated more in a specific profession like I always thought a science teacher was like a closet wannabe scientist like in their minds they envision themselves in a lab doing research right mm-hmm. for the most part and when they get to school and they start teaching it that's not how it's we, not quite it's not mm-hmm. quite like mm-hmm. that it could be and it should be but yeah. it, it never has been now we're beginning to see that where you got teachers down in the getting their dirt hands mm-hmm. dirty too mm-hmm. working with kids and trying yep. to solve problems and you have to yes so do you see that tide beginning to change where the teacher's involvement is, or the teacher's perspective and their approach is changing? I think so. I mean, like even in our, I say regular um, science professional development. So um, our, our science program is is really inquiry based. And so much of what we do really rests on um, the hands-on investigation. So 
you have to do it like for you to to help kids um, have a concrete understanding of the scientific principle you have to get down and dirty do hands-on investigations with them and really walk them through the process and so if that's that's how we teach our teachers anyway. Like we we walk them through the process of this is how you are going to do this in your classroom. You're going to replicate it. So if we give them practice, almost mm-hmm. like they start to see it. Oh, this is important, and I see the the meaning. You know, there's there's meaning to what I'm doing. Right. So whatever we expect with teachers, we do with them. So I, I think that's very very important. Well, they have to feel comfortable before they go. True. To, it's like going on stage without rehearsing. True. So this way, they actually practice some of the hands-on with us. So in case questions do come up, we can help them problem-solve through it. So that way, when they do it with their kids, they know of what it should look like, what it should sound like, what the kids should be doing, because they themselves went through the process. And the one thing, though, that's also very, very important as has helped us throughout the process is really the reflection piece. We go back and debrief, like, what went well? Um, mm-hmm. If you had to do it differently, like, what would you do differently? That is very, very important in the practice of helping our teachers implement STEM or like, you know, the science program. What, what has it done for you guys personally, those of you who are have been in the science world for a long time and now you're in leadership roles responsible for helping guide the, the curriculum, the content, the pedagogy, all of that goes along with science, math and technology and STEM. And what's it done for you personally? Has it revitalized you? Has it is it something you said finally someone's paying attention to this? What's it been like? I think it's just out of my comfort zone. You know, sometimes um, as a classroom teacher, you tend to, and I was self-contained, you tend to stay in your own classroom or your own lane. But um, I think seeing STEM and the importance of cross-curricular connections, um, it's really important that I talk to, if, if I were a teacher that's part of a block um, team, like I need to talk to my EL, oh, well, my reading and writing counterpart. Like, you know, we have to talk about this or this is just not about reading and writing and math. This is really also about languages and helping our kids build literacy and language. So I need to talk to our um, second language education department. So, you know, when you talk about STEM technology plays a really big role in it. So it's like talking to our tech department. So in this role, like I am the science coordinator, but it forces me or has forced me to come out and really, you know, mm-hmm. talk to my peers and collaborate. And interesting enough, um, I was going to say, I don't think Jaleen knows this, but growing up, I did not enjoy science. So it's interesting. My mom was a science teacher, and I said, I'm not good at science. That's always my mindset. And it wasn't until I began teaching here, my teaching partner wanted to do um, language arts. And I was like, okay, I'll give math and science a try. And I fell in love with science. It was just, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not know how much fun this could be? Because growing up, Science was boring for me. Uh, so it, it took a different mindset, and I saw how powerful science can be if you put it in the hands of the kids and you actually engage them in it. They learn so much more. Uh, so I think that that has definitely helped me in this role of just making sure that we are letting kids explore and do a hands-on uh, and really just grabbing their interests and engaging them because that will take them much further. And, you know, with, with Betty saying that, it actually reminds me, like, the first, I think, as a science and technology specialist and started working with teachers, they're scared because they're, they did not learn that way. Mm-hmm. So when we started the whole inquiry process, 5E, hands-on, like, you know, you do it, you read, you talk about it. Like, the hands-on piece, you're like... Uh, you yeah. know, because they haven't done it. And so I think sometimes they're scared or like they can be, how would you say that? Like hesitant. He, they're, they're hesitant because they're not used to it. 
So I think that's one thing that we really keep in mind when we do our um, PDs or, or trainings for professional development is to ensure and make sure that if this is a hands-on investigation that we expect you to do, that we're actually also doing it, you know, with you. No, it's human nature, you know, to, to be hesitant to do something you're not mm-hmm. sure of, especially when you're doing it in front of an audience. True. With your kids. Yep. And especially when you're tinkering with their minds. I mean, this is a serious business. I know we this idea, this notion of every move, every word, every action we take as adults has an impact on kids. True. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, no, there's there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You may not know what that impact is, or you might know. So yeah, I think it's it's um it's like I said it's it's human nature. I want to wrap this up. Uh, I want people that are listening to this this conversation. Ninety five percent of it's been about what Aleph ISD is attempting to do with our youngest learners and how we're trying to use STEM and expose them to STEM as well as the teacher, the adult. But I, I find it fascinating that we we could have this very same conversation right after you guys with our middle school and high school coordinators and specialists and content area specialists. We have a, a STEM facilitator. I mean, that's all he does mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. wakes up and goes to bed thinking about STEM. Facilitates. <laughs> Facilitates STEM, yeah. So uh, w- this district has made an investment in that and will continue mm-hmm. to make investments in it, both financially and resource, but also just with, with support and expectations that we you know, see some some growth and some development in that area. So I think communities, whether it's A-Leaf, whether you live in A-Leaf, listen to this, or you live in some other state, listen to this. Economically, if you just boil it down to the brass tacks, uh, if, if our country, if our society, if our local regions, if we're going to compete both economically and in growth and uh, socially, emotionally, all that, we have to begin Uh, As an educational community, we have to rely more on the types of experiences that STEM brings our kids. That's Mm -hmm. true. I agree. And we have to the extent the federal government will let us or the state of Texas will let us or even the individual district will let us uh, or down to the principal, classroom teacher. We have to move in this direction and be willing to fail every once in a while as long as we learn from that failure and move on. So. I, I I really do from my from my vantage point. I didn't teach science. I enjoyed it, but it, I never. I mean, my science was kind of outdoors and learning that way. But I'm sitting here in my role right now, watching what's going on in this district and just observing the excitement with kids, and it's even more so with adults in a lot of cases that they're finally being allowed to do kind of what they would like to do mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And so, uh, with that, it's very very rewarding for me. And then ultimately, the kids are the ones benefiting. Surely. So, so with that, I'm going to thank both you ladies, Jalene and, and Betty. Thank you for everything you do. I know there's other people that are on your team and there are mm-hmm. the people across the district that are working just as hard, if not harder, to do what, what you guys are doing. But it's uh, it's appreciated. It, it really is. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Wasn't too bad, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can breathe now. Right. All right. This has been Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to you uh, to sharing another episode with you real soon. Thanks. Have a great day. This has been an AMP production.